what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Safe Harbor Shine the Light podcast, where we will shine the light on community issues such as substance use disorder, poverty, homelessness, and the stigma that prevents many from getting the help they need. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Safe Harbor's first Shining the Light podcast. I am so excited that you are joining us today. And I have with me Sarah Blanton, who is our Director of Development. And uh, we have Shantiza Queen, who is a graduate of our Whole Woman program and is serving now as a substance use counselor. So welcome, ladies. I look forward to this time uh, with you today. You know, when we had our annual event and I October, we call Celebrate the Harvest. We really focused on the stigma um, that comes from substance use disorder and mental health as well, and poverty as well. And we really wanted to launch a podcast that would shine the light on the stigma that comes with these issues that prevents people from getting help. You know, uh, Safe Harbor celebrates 20 years this year from the from the time that we incorporated. For 20 years, we have made it our mission to help women understand that their past doesn't define them, um, that they are a new creation in Christ, and to help them understand that um, if they can live into who they were called to be. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today and, and just talk about what in the world is stigma and what does it call? So maybe you girls just want to jump in and tell a little bit about yourself and why this podcast is important to you today. Well, um, for me, you know, um, a long, long time ago, <laughs> um, I in my early years um, as a social worker, um, I was very captivated with the concept of recovery. You know, that whole message. Um, I, along with so many other people, we always love that message of people overcoming odds and moving forward in their lives. And so as a young social worker, I was very captivated by that message of recovery and moving forward. And so early on in uh, direct services and really working one-on-one with men and women, um, that substance use was a part of their story. I quickly began to see the discrepancies, the judgments, Mm -hmm. the stigmas, the barriers that existed. And that really opened my eyes um, because when you think of, we'll just use this as an example, when you think of a, a substance abuser, what that indicates is that obviously it's very negative, but it really puts um, the blame and shame on an individual mm-hmm. instead of focusing that the substance is the issue. Mm-hmm. The person, you know, is not defective, but it's the substance. And so when you start learning and educating yourself um, about the addictive process and what happens in a person's life, um, then you begin to have an appreciation, I think, and a passion for enlightening other people about this so that you can compassionately come alongside of someone. And it really helped me see, um, you know, this person 
is completely powerless over this stuff. I mean, it's really, I can think over and over again how uh, men and women have sat in my office, you know, as a substance use professional, crying. You know, it's not that they don't want this for their life. Mm -hmm. And so when when you move from a conversation from a substance abuser to substance use disorder, I think you can really address it in a holistic way instead of it just um, having a perception that it is a moral failing. Yeah, I'm gonna just I'm gonna jump in here a minute, Sarah, about that because at Celebrate the Harvest, I shared that uh, a very dear family member of mine uh, is struggling with alcoholism, and it was life changing because of what I had learned at Safe Harbor that. Um, this is a disease that it your you really your brain literally the the pathways in your brain change, and when I was able to share that with my family and help them to see it wasn't a moral failure mm-hmm. um, that he really had a disease, it changed the right. whole attitude. And we do have on our website a link mm-hmm. to a video that I sent my family. Um, that they could go and see that. Uh, and he still struggles. Uh, it, it's a disease that he is going to struggle with the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but no longer do we look at him that that defines who he is. Shantisa, you know, you experienced this firsthand mm-hmm. um, as you came into our Whole Woman program. Um, first of all, just kind of tell where you are now, uh, and how you're using, how your, your experiences are helping, letting you help others. But what did that feel like in your words, um, when you were really experiencing the battle of Mm. substance use disorder? So where I am now, um, is that, well, first I have eight years in recovery, Yay. Praise and, God for that. Um, you know, over the past eight years, I have definitely learned more about myself than I could have ever imagined. Um, and so today I get to use those struggles that I, I went through in my active addiction and early on in my recovery to um, identify with other people, because I can recognize the struggle, I can recognize how the mind and the emotions, they can get all out of whack. Mm -hmm. And just being able to come alongside that person and say, I understand, Mm -hmm. and really understand what they're experiencing. And I know sometimes self-disclosure is a bad thing in the field, but I feel like in order for me to make that connection, I have to Mm -hmm. disclose something so that they can see that I do understand, you know, like on their level, I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, in like when I, before I found recovery, some of those struggles, I mean, there was just a bunch, you know, homelessness, incarceration, um, abuse, toxic relationships, disconnection from my family, any and anybody that cared about me, I completely cut them off mm-hmm. because that interfered with my addiction, but also I had so much shame and guilt that I didn't want to be in their vicinity. So that shame and guess, uh, let's expound on that just a little bit. Okay. That shame that you felt, did that prevent you from going further to get help or 
Did you keep things hidden because of it? How, how could you speak to someone now that they're struggling and they don't want anybody to know? Mm, that's a that's a very good question and a very challenging question mm-hmm. at that. Um, I think that the shame and guilt definitely kept me from reaching out because I didn't want anybody to know just how bad I was struggling. Yeah. I put on this facade that I've got this when, I mean, clearly people see through it. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I thought I was fooling people. And it wasn't until I got to my very bottom, that I was even capable of asking for help. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had tried to do things, continued to fail. You know, I just could not get it. And I thought that there was something wrong with me. And so whenever I came to Safe Harbor, I, I began to learn that there was nothing wrong with me, that I just needed help. Mm-hmm. And I had to be taught how to live life in recovery, which is very challenging. And what I tell people today is it's okay that you're not okay. It's okay that you're struggling. It's okay that this is a battle because it is. It's an internal battle that we have with ourselves. We want to have that recovery. We want it so desperately, but we don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to ask for help. And it's usually takes somebody asking for help for them, which is where I come into play, you know, um, setting up meetings with family members if, they, if that's what they want to do, having conversations with family members, making referrals, you know, helping them in that process to kind of alleviate some of that fear of rejection, because mm-hmm. that, that's really where it stems from, is if I tell this person this, are they going to accept me? Right. And what I have seen time and time again is when the person that I'm working with tells their family member, their family member is more than they're more than uh, willing to come and help. Mm -hmm. It's like outstretched arms Mm -hmm. for the most part. You know, there's a few that that hasn't been the case, but the the look on the person's face that whenever they share that piece of themselves with that person you can just see the burden lift off of them mm-hmm. because then they can see that, oh, okay, I have some support. So more people in recovery sharing their stories will help that. Yes, absolutely. I want to talk, I want Sarah to share a little bit about um, what stig- what is stigma and how does it impact someone? Because that's really the message we're trying to get across mm-hmm. today. And I want to say the first time I really realized that I was stigmatizing someone without realizing that what I was doing was when I first came to work for Safe Harbor, and and we help women that are experiencing homelessness. And I was at a conference, and someone said, you know, we don't say we help the homeless. Mm-hmm. We say we have programs for our friends or our neighbors that are experiencing homelessness. And then they explained that being homeless doesn't define them. And so I know there's so many words we use that we aren't aware of how it's labeling people. So Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that Sarah's taught her staff so much about stigmatizing language and pro-recovery language. So would you kind of talk to that just a little bit? Sure. So stigma, you know, overall is, again, it's a faulty perception. Mm-hmm. 
And when you have a faulty perception of an individual, a group of people, a social issue, that brings about a negative connotation and attitude. It's degrading, Mm -hmm. really. And just like you pointed out, Vicki, there are words historically that have been acceptable, you know, Mm -hmm. in in the substance use profession, you know, in textbooks Mm -hmm. and all this. And so this movement of pro-recovery language, you know, it's going to take a little while to start turning that tide. But that's why I'm grateful that Safe Harbor um, is very passionate about being a forerunner and turning that tide because it matters. Mm -hmm. Just like you were talking about, Shantiza, I mean, bottom line... People just want someone to believe in them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, one of my favorite definitions um, of stigma is that it diminishes um, the chances of a person achieving their full potential. Mm -hmm. I like that. And so I am bipolar. I am an addict. Mm -hmm. I am a sinner. I am a... You know, it's those labels really keep us in that state of perpetual shame. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you think of words like, you know, I am a person in long-term recovery versus, well, I'm just an addict. You know, that feel, but doesn't that feel differently? It, it, it does. And, and in our whole woman program, you know, we always say that our belief, our behaviors mm-hmm. follow our beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. And even as a young, young mom, I remember reading, if you say to your child, you are so bad, then they're going to be bad because that's mm-hmm. who they think they are. Right. And I love it. Safe Harbor, we're about... You are a child of God that struggles. It's, it's like the CR, mm-hmm. you know, to celebrate recovery is I am a child of God and I struggle with codependency or I struggle with substance use disorder. Yeah. But even from a spiritual perspective, you know, there's that saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same concept. I mean, you know, in working um, with individuals, you know, I don't think because of the stigma around addiction and people so often say, well, if she would just get a job or if she would just stop hanging around those people, it's that boyfriend. I don't know why she keep, if she could just do this, mm-hmm. then she would be fine. Well, when you work alongside of individuals that have a substance use disorder, um, you see that the recovery process really requires them to change not one thing, but every single thing about their life. Mm-hmm. And when you when you begin to realize that again, you have an appreciation of how much because I, you know, spirituality, my faith in God, my salvation is very important to me. And so, as a believer, I I have an appreciation that. This is an ongoing struggle, you know, to to live the way that God would have me to live. I need Him. Mm-hmm. I need people in my life. I need, you know, structure. I need accountability. 
these are all these things that accompany recovery as well. And mm -hmm. so I remember going into, and, and I think that people, when they think about substances, they're like, well, they should be, they just need to stop doing that. They need to stop using. I remember going into the schools, um, doing prevention education. And uh, this is when cell phones, you know, everybody's got them, you know. Um, and so I would go up to a student and I would say, give me your phone. And so they had the, they begrudgingly gave me their phone, and I said, what if I told you that you're not going to be able to get this back? And not only are you not going to be able to get this back, you're going to have to figure out a way to communicate in a completely different way mm -hmm. without ever utilizing this again. <laughs> the look of panic mm -hmm. and terror that was on their face, but that just, again, trying to get folks to understand, you know, a person entering recovery you are you are grieving the loss of your life as you know it. Your coping mechanism, regardless of how toxic it was, that was your coping mechanism, and you're removing that. Mm -hmm. But when you remove that, you have to, if, it's, if, if substances are rewiring your brain, you know, mm -hmm. and essentially taking over that, which our brain controls everything about us, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a little more complicated <laughs> and a little more complex mm -hmm. than just ceasing the use of substances, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think for me, um, because I get the opportunity to do groups um, mm -hmm. where I work at, and I uh, focus those on education around substance use. And I know... When I first went to Safe Harbor and we did the addictive brain class, mm -hmm. that was the the biggest aha moment I had during that program. Because once I went through that class and I understood how addiction works in the brain, then it was like, well, no wonder. Mm -hmm. No wonder I think this way. No mm -hmm. wonder, you know, I behave this way. No wonder my thoughts my thoughts are so irrational mm -hmm. um, because it was continuously driving toward to get more substances, whatever that took. And so I, I really focus on educating people about how the brain works when substances are, are, are involved. That way they can see that one, it's not their fault. You know, um, they, they can't help the way that substances has wired their brain. Right. However, now that you have this knowledge, let's work on ways that we can identify new coping skills mm -hmm. and start retraining that brain to think in a, in a different way. Mm -hmm. Cognitive behavioral therapy is my absolute favorite because it helps people to focus on what are you thinking about? That way you can line up your thoughts with reality and, and start leaning toward your goals of recovery, developing healthy relationships, setting boundaries with people. Um, you know, those things are very important. And it, it's so enlightening to me when I see people, they have that moment. Yeah. They're like, mm -hmm. well, I never knew that. Yeah. Right. And that, from, that, that, from that spiritual perspective, too, you know, the Bible tells us to not be conformed by the image of this world, mm -hmm. but be what? By be the transformed by the mind. renewing of your mind. Mm -hmm. yep. It's that um, it's that journey. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
just like that journey with Christ, it's that journey of recovery. And it's a good time for me to remind our viewers and our listeners to if you if you're lost in what Shantiza is talking about about the addictive brain, go to our website, go to the resources page, and the very top video is Dr. Kevin McCauley talking about the addictive brain. Mm-hmm. I think it will enlighten you so much. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, you know, Sarah. We've talked a lot about Safe Harbor wants to be the forerunner. Um, to talk about recovery language. When I first started talking about that, I had a couple of people say, oh, you're just trying to be politically correct. I'm like, no, I'm trying to save lives. I'm trying to change the perception so that more people will come forward and get help. I want you in just a second to talk about some of that language, but I just want to read um, some of the uh, outcomes if someone internalizes Mm -hmm. stigma. And uh, here's some things to consider. Increase depression. Coping through avoidance, socially and personally. Uh, Decreased hope. If I'm stigmatized, if I say, I am an addict, what hope do I have, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Decreased self-esteem, increase in mental health and substance use struggles, decreased persistence in seeking help, and reduced self-facency. I probably said that wrong. (laughs) Um, But if we know this is what stigma causes, why would we not want to reduce stigma and we can start right here in hickory north carolina with Mm -hmm. safe harbor so sarah what's some of the language that we can use to be pro-recovery um what am i trying to advocates right right well um you know we touched on substance abuser versus substance use Mm -hmm. um early on um and we talked also about the word addict addiction Um, And moving from that word addiction to something like substance use disorder, when you throw the word disorder in there, I think it acknowledges that there is a medical component Mm -hmm. to this um, issue, Mm -hmm. you know, and there and so and also because it recognizes that there is a medical component it opens the door open for treatment, Mm -hmm. that this is a treatable disease. Yes. And also from Mm -hmm. a medical and healthcare standpoint, um, it becomes a billable service, (laughs) right? Yes, it does. (laughs) It's not something that you have to go, um, you know, it has to be hidden or that there's shame, you know, it's, you pay a copay, Mm -hmm. you get treated for it. You know, just as you were going to your primary care for any other health issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, you know, even if you think about, you know, a dirty drug screen, are they clean or are they dirty? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've worked a lot with uh, within the court system and just and I do I want to take a moment to applaud um, our district um, of judges that have really over the past few years have um, immersed themselves in training. Mm. and have been educated around this. And it's a completely different feel in the courtroom now than it was 10, uh, 15 years ago. Mm. And But even language that um, we used to use in the court system and then with probation, mm-hmm. you know, you see 
how even words like non-compliant, where they're just not complying, how about the they just need a different intervention? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone has type 2 diabetes and they go and have a conversation with their provider and their provider has recommended this medication regimen, this lifestyle change, this specific diet, and that person goes for a follow-up visit and they say, Doc, I haven't done a single thing. This is hard. Is the doctor going to say, I'm not treating you anymore. Mm-mm. You failed. Get out of my office. What's he going to do? He's going to reassess and he's going to modify the intervention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, moving away again from addicted, um, alcoholic, my pet peeve is drunkard. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, it's, again, it's substance use really the emphasis becomes on the substance. What are we going to do about that instead of, uh, she just can't get her act together. Mm. Well, he just he's just not trusting God. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, again, we can just, so it's so easy to pass judgment and to pass and to carry that stigma through when one, you haven't really educated yourself. You don't have direct empathy with it. Um, but again, in just working with people mm-hmm. um, from a professional capacity, when you begin to introduce this language, especially when women, um, because, you know, um, at Safe Harbor, um, there are lots of opportunities for our ladies to share their story. Mm-hmm. And when we, since we've been introducing some of this pro-recovery language, even in their testimony and how they present it, you can they go, their heads move from down to more to more confident, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because again, we're that shame. God doesn't want doesn't want any of his children Absolutely. to remain in shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why are we imposing that? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's so easy to do. You don't, you, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. But guess what? <laughs> We're enlightening you all now. We are shining the light. So now you know. And I think that in order to completely do away with stigma, which is going to be a very long and challenging battle, Mm -hmm. I think it all begins with education. We have to educate people. We have to talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it and we don't introduce things like recovery language and show people the correlation of this this negative language and the effect that it has on people when they're already down and struggling then we're not going to be able to make a change and like i took the recovery coach class too i learned Mm -hmm. so much as a person in recovery whenever i went through that Mm -hmm. class i was like man i do that i say that i Mm -hmm. use that Mm -hmm. language and and it really brought some self-awareness to myself about how whenever i say Hey, my name is Shantiza. I'm an addict. It. I started paying attention to that, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Ow!" Mm-hmm. You know, it hurt me mm-hmm. to say that about myself because that is not who I am anymore. Right. You know, and today I'm a person living in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And when I tell people that, the like you just said, the self-confidence that I have in that, it's like, yeah, that's who I am today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that person, and. I think that not only helping to educate our community, but helping to educate the people that are struggling. Sure. Because once we 
start introducing that language to them as well, then it can help shed off some of that shame, shed off some of that Mm -hmm. guilt and make them see themselves in a different light, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not focusing on the drug, but focusing on who they really are, yeah, their true self. Don't you think shifting the mindset from this is a moral failure to this is a disease, Absolutely. this is, you know, a disease of my brain. Yes. yes. And, I, you know, we celebrate if there is a um, cancer, if someone is in recovery mm-hmm. with cancer, we celebrate mm-hmm. that. They have a bell they ring. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and we should be celebrating mm-hmm. those that have battled this disease mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. substance use disorder and are walking in recovery. You know, they're the victors. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, just when I think about just how hard it is to change a, a habit of mine, and I think so much about how hard it is for people that have a substance use disorder to fight that it's like they become my heroes because I can just imagine how hard that is just with me trying to change simple things Mm -hmm. in my life right and particularly the substances that are available today and I think that's another um thing that people don't uh, they can't fully wrap their brain around you know people often ask me why do you think people want to use well um, you know, substances do, again, substances do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an instant reward in the substances that are available now. That reward is so intense that they will immediately become addicted mm-hmm. or it could kill them. Mm-hmm. And I used to be able to go into the schools and say, you know, one in four um, will develop an addiction. It's the roll of the die every time you try. You may become addicted, but now you got to go into the schools and say, if you try what's out today, you will become addicted mm-hmm. and or it will kill you. Yeah. And so we're just in a whole different, I mean, addiction has just evolved. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just, you know, we're talking about sure. how recovery has evolved and that awareness and that understanding well, guess what? Substances have evolved as well, and it's a very dangerous time. And mm-hmm. so we cannot afford as believers, as professionals, to get this issue wrong right. anymore <clears throat> because mm-hmm. people are dying. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to kind of wrap us up today. Thank you, Shantiza, for being with us and what you're doing uh, to help others that are struggling with substance use disorder. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for, for taking time. And pleasure. we are so grateful at Safe Harbor to have you, Sarah, with Thank your you. past experience and your heart and your passion. And now that you're in our community, you know, sharing about how others can get involved with the mission and ministry of Safe Harbor. And and thank you guys for joining us. I'm going to ask you if you know someone that has a loved one that is struggling with substance use disorder, um, share this podcast with them and also go to our website and watch that video. I think you'll find it very enlightening uh, for yourself. So thanks again for joining us on Shining the Light. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, 
Music to Community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.